0: Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society. And this week I'm joined by Lee Gatis, Director of Church Society, and Mark Wallace, Regional Director of Church Society. It is, it is the director's cut, I feel, <laughs> uh, this morning. Well, maybe not. Which one of uh, us are
1: you going to cut, Ros?
0: Well, I mean, clearly George, because he's not here. <laughs> If you're listening to the podcast, uh, please, uh, subscribe. You can now subscribe to us on Spotify as well as on iTunes and all other good podcast providers. If you're watching us, you can subscribe on YouTube and don't forget to click the little bell sign to make sure you get notification every time we upload a video, uh, just a couple of pieces of news before we get going. I wanted to let you know about our summer sermon series. You may have seen uh, post about this. We have nine sermons uh, available in both video and also, as of today, audio uh, that are available for you to download and use uh, in whatever way is most helpful uh, for your church over the summer. I mean, you might want to just take the whole summer off, but you might just say, Do you know, what? I just really need a break uh, for a week or two Here's a sermon from uh, trusted, reliable preachers, Rod Thomas, Wallace Byrne, uh, Mark and Lee have both contributed some. So, those are available uh, from the Church Society website. We'll put a link uh, to that in the comments as well. And I also uh, just wanted to let you know, sadly, we have had to take the decision this year that we won't be able to go ahead uh, with our normal residential conference for junior Anglicans at the end of the summer. But instead, we are having a virtual Summer of Jake uh, starting uh, in mid July, going all the way through to the first week of September. keynote papers, seminars, workshops, all kinds of things. It will be free. Uh, It is available to anyone who is in that sort of genius stage. So anything up to the first couple of years of incumbency, all the way back to to just beginning to think about uh, full-time ministry, maybe your ministry trainee or uh, what kind of anything, anyone at that sort of stage in their uh, ministry, you're very welcome to join us, but you do need to sign up. It is free, but you do need to sign up. So again, we'll put the links to that and we hope uh, to see many of you this summer at some of those events. Now we don't often get to do really breaking news on this podcast and sadly probably by the time you get to see or hear this uh, on Tuesday it won't be quite as breaking as it feels we're recording this on Monday but today uh, the government has announced new guidance for the safe use of places of worship that will apply uh, from July the 4th, so uh, starting this weekend. Uh, Lee, just give us some of the, the sort of headline news about what's now going to be permitted.
1: Well, uh, that's right, Roz. One of the big things is that uh, there's now no limit of 30 for public worship, as there, there was before for uh, weddings and funerals. The limit still applies for weddings and funerals. But uh, if your building is big enough and you can manage the people flow, the stewarding and all the other restrictions and uh, important things that need to be put in place, you can have more than 30 people in your building now for public worship. So that's the big thing that the government have announced. Great. There are are a whole load of restrictions that you need to think about uh, to put into place to make that happen and so it may not be happening soon in a church near you
0: yeah um, absolutely so mark i mean you're an incumbent of of a church at the moment just give us an idea of what kind of things uh, will you and your wardens and pcc need to be thinking about this week as you start to look through this guidance <sighs>
2: Well, first say that the two churches I work with in Colchester, we've already made the decision that we won't be opening this coming Sunday. Uh, And part of that is because we're aware on past form that it's quite likely the detailed government advice and diocesan advice won't be available until the 11th hour, which makes it very hard to be planning for this Sunday. Now, some churches will be in a position to do that, and that's great, but we locally have decided that, that we're not able to do that this soon. Um, the main thing that we've been encouraging each other to do is to look very, very carefully at the detail of the advice. Um, we're quite used now to uh, there being government announcements that come out, uh, but actually the detail is where the uh, where, where the important elements are. That doesn't come out until a few days later. There may well be some nuancing even of the government advice that's come out overnight. So we, we still need to watch this space. Uh, you flip down on the website and there's an awful lot to read, but it does need to be read. And most of us, I imagine, will also be receiving advice from our diocese, from our uh, diocesan bishop, uh, probably in the next 24, 36 hours. That will also need to be read very, very carefully. I speak as somebody who loves just to flick past the dull stuff. But actually on this, we need to be very careful. please. Yeah,
0: we really do. I think that's right. There's the. I think the big headline, churches are open, needs to be taken with a huge pinch of salt, and, and I think that's one of the things I really want to say, people listening to this, if you're not a church leader, if you're not on the PCC, you're not involved in those discussions, please be really patient um, and, and don't be just sort of knocking on the door saying, why aren't we back to normal this Sunday? Because it, it just won't be. As straightforward as that makes it sound. There is good news, some of you uh, will remember a couple of weeks ago we had Phil Hobbs on the podcast talking about how his wedding has had to be postponed. Um, weddings we do now, know are able to go ahead and, and up to 30 people, you know, so hopefully for most couples you'll at least be able to get most of your close family there and, and you know, your, your best man and your bridesmaids and, and so on. So it won't be quite the same as people had uh, perhaps planned for originally um, but those uh, should be able to to go ahead uh, in some form this summer. Um, One of the things I noticed uh, in the guidance that's come out today, there is some discussion about what they call, I think, life cycle events or something like that, which which, I mean, it makes it sound to me a little bit like we're talking about sort of the change from a larva into a butterfly. But (laughs) but I I, I don't think that's quite what they mean. Um, So in our context, that would really be things like baptism and confirmation and um, I think also communion, possibly Uh, There is some related things there. What does it say about those kind of things,
1: Lee? Uh, It says one thing. You can't be singing in those uh, services, in any of the services. So that's a big thing to note. Uh, Maybe one person could sing with a guitar, not not a wind instrument, but with a guitar up the front with some plexiglass in front of them. I'd wondered if maybe if they turn their back to you and just face the wall while they sing, that might work as well. But I don't think so. And it's not a good idea. Uh, But yes, so there you, you will be able to have a baptism but uh, not by full immersion. They actually say no full immersion, but you might be able to do some splashing provided nobody else gets splashed at the same time. For uh, uh, an infant baptism, you will want the parent to keep hold of the child, not the minister, uh, but you could still splash them maybe from a distance. I don't know uh, how you'd work that out, but they can still be done.
0: So one of the things it says is um, there is a difference between Uh, the status of some of the guidance. So some of it is must. So those are legal requirements. And some of it is should, which is best guidance. And so some some of these things come under different things around that. And and one of the uh, differences is around what social distancing counts as. So it's two metres, but that could be as little as one metre if there are other... um, uh mitigating things put into place so you know if you were wearing a mask for example and the parents were wearing a mask and probably you don't put masks on tiny babies but you know and then and then you're sort of pouring from a you know a a sort of height over the child you you could do that i think at that sort of meter distance rather than having to get a, a water pistol and and aim it from the other side of the road. I think
1: the the one meter thing could be interesting as well because um one of the big things about church buildings is pinch points around the building um I think about our church in Cambridge here there's a pinch point when people arrive and they they often come by bike of course because we're in Cambridge where you go around to put your bike and then people come out out of there into church isn't very wide and they're going to have to think about that pinch point point. Similarly, in the church building, when you come out of the main uh, worship area, for want of a better word, uh, and to go to the loos or to the meeting point or out of the building, again, there could be a pinch point there and different buildings will need to think through how they manage that and signpost that and steward that. And it may not be possible for many. And we are not failing in our gospel proclamation if we don't open the building because we're trying to care for people um, and to look after their physical health in that way. It is still fine to be streaming your services, zooming, YouTubing, because your building is not ready under the current restrictions to be opened. Some will be able to open and it's fine. It's great that they can do that. And have more than 30 maybe even meeting in the car park or if the church has extensive grounds out the back the church where i was a curate we had a big piece of grass land out the back of the church the glebe land it used to be i think uh, and you could meet there but not every church will be able to do this and so you're not failing in your gospel uh, duty to your people if you are continuing just to do it by the internet
0: No, that's right. And I mean, the guidance is still pretty clear on that, that people who've been in the shielding category. So there is some some easing of shielding is happening this week, and and those people who have been in that category uh, will be uh, able to go out a bit and, and meet with other people a little bit. But they are still advised not to come to any big gatherings. So we shouldn't be expecting those people to rock up to church, even if we can open. And so I think most churches are going to want to, to think maybe about some kind of double provision at some point. I don't know, Mark, whether you've thought about uh, what that might entail in your situation.
2: Yes, very much, but just to go back a stage, I think it's also worth saying, in the government advice that's come out, there are no big surprises. And most uh, clergy and church wardens and PCCs that I know of have been debating this for the last few weeks. That there are, so there are no surprises and, and people have already thought this through. So it may well be in your local context that if a decision has been announced about the coming Sundays, uh, that, that it has been a very well thought through uh, issue. Uh, again, though, can I just plea, um, make a plea, do, 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 go back to the detail of the advice. I even have a sneaky suspicion, Lee, there may be a couple of bits and pieces in there that may not be entirely accurate. Uh, though we can pass the uh, the government advice uh, bit by bit later on if we need to, uh, but in terms of uh, of going forwards, sorry, sorry, yes. Anyway, um, in in terms of going forwards, uh, yes, I think we're needing to to be very careful, but also acknowledge that that there are difficult decisions. We are looking at dual ministry. Um, we're going to be doing online and offline, uh, quite possibly beyond Christmas and into the new year. Um, but I think it's also worth flagging out there's a particular bit there. Um, we're, we're, the, the issue here is, I think, that a lot of people are about to go away on holiday. Um, uh, options have been opened up for folk to go away. Um, we're aware of particular individuals who won't be around for particular weeks in July and August. At the very stage that we're reliant on um, people to help open up the building in a much more complicated way, And we're looking still to be able to make an online provision. Actually, uh, this is going to be a really complicated couple of months for us to work our way through. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And, you know, that's partly why we uh, provided the Summer Sermon Series is that, that awareness that... Uh, Not only will ministers need a break, but actually there'll be all the people they might have been relying on to help with technology all the practical things. If we are opening buildings, you know, people are are really stretched to their limit. And I don't I don't know any clergy who've had a quiet time these last few months. Everybody I know has been absolutely working to the the max and, and really stretched. And suddenly we're asking to continue with everything that that has been going on and do more and as you see at a time when when also people will be wanting to try and take breaks so, uh,
2: just to clarify we're, we're not saying that clergy haven't had a quiet time and no, no. they've been reading their bible and praying I hope yeah, uh, but yes it, it has not been a, a peaceful time of putting your feet
0: up and relaxing really yes. not really not so complicated now one other thing I just um, wanted to, to pick up that, that was in the guidance this morning it's the thing that sort of at the beginning of lockdown or just before lockdown uh, a lot of uh, churches were thinking about uh, the subject and it's kind of gone quiet because we've not been able to do anything about it but that is the issue of communion so uh obviously normally uh when we receive communion in an anglican church uh, the bread is shared and we receive uh, wine from a, a common cup so immediately that the sort of pandemic uh crisis hit the issue of the common cup was one that that people were very, very uh, rightly concerned about as a possible way of transmitting the virus. Um, In the guidance this morning, it's very clear that you can't share a common cup, but it does seem to suggest that we could be sharing um, bread in some way. There's guidance about the person distributing, sanitising their hands or wearing gloves and then sort of dropping it into your hands. I don't think there's any guidance about dropping it into your mouth if, if you're in a church that has that. No, you
1: connection. mustn't do that. Still. It says into the hand no. only.
0: Okay, good. Well, that's good. Um, so so there is that. But that does then, I think, raise some of those questions again. Is it uh, okay to have communion if we only share bread? Is it communion if we only share bread? Um, why can't we just use those little individual cups that you may have seen if you've been. Lots of Baptist churches use them and other denominations as well, where we're not sharing a common cup. We're just all drinking a little bit. Um, why don't we why don't we just do that? What should, yeah.
1: There, there is um, an ancient provision for this. So um, the 39 articles, of course, tell us that the sacrament ought to be given to people in both kinds. This is Article 30, as I recall. Um, the, the sacrament is to be given both as bread and wine, not the way that many parts of the medieval church used to do it, just giving the people bread and not giving them wine. So the Reformation restored that, uh, that the people could be allowed the wine as well. However, there is provision even during the Reformation in the Sacrament Act of 1547, uh, which is still in effect, which says that uh, it should be both bread and wine except necessity Otherwise, require, and I think that is including the idea that there may be plague or the sweating sickness, uh, as it might have been known back then. Yeah. So necessity, which was certainly a
0: big yes, a big deal in the sixteenth century. It absolutely they, they was. Knew,
1: um, yeah. It absolutely was. So I think that even the reformers at that point were saying, yes, bread and wine should be the normal mode of uh, giving the sacrament, but necessity may require us not to give it. As wine, So um, I used to be pretty fundamentalist about Article 30 and saying we shouldn't do it in both. We shouldn't do it in one kind only. But I think there may be circumstances where it's possible to just do it by bread. Whether that's ideal is another issue. And I don't think it is ideal.
0: Clearly, it's not ideal, but it it may be possible. Would you do that? And does the Sacrament Act uh, of 1547, which I've only just heard about for the first time, say in that case, um, would you expect the minister to also only receive in one kind or would you expect him to receive in both kinds while the, the people only receive the bread?
1: I think it would be possible for the minister to receive in both kinds because the necessity that's being spoken of is a, is a plague. So the, um, the minister could still receive bread and wine, but not to pass on the wine, which would be in a shared chalice. Now that's an issue isn't it for today so the shared chalice is something we've generally used in anglicanism um, because it has that idea of we all eat from one bread we eat from one loaf of bread uh, and we eat from we drink from a common chalice now um that That's an issue in these sorts of circumstances and we could get round it by having individual cups. And I know lots of people do that in non-conformist churches, um, but some bishops get very touchy about that and don't want us to use individual cups in the Church of England.
0: I mean, you say just some bishops. I mean, there there is some canon law about it, isn't there? It's, it's not just individual bishops hmm. getting on their high horse and are telling us what to do, I think. Isn't that right, Mark? You're kind of nodding Um, at
2: me. I believe that is the case, but I vow to leave superior knowledge of canon law.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I I have not done the research on canon law either, but I believe that is the case as well. I would refer people who want to think more about this. Um, As I say, at the beginning of lockdown, it was a thing where a lot of people think about quite a lot. Can we do virtual communion? Can we do communion in one kind? And so on. Um, We have a series of blog posts that Mark Lloyd wrote for us, uh, addressing various questions around this that I would really recommend. And actually, there's there's another one which I'm going to post later this week uh, from him. Just encouraging us to think about what we should be thinking about and doing at communion as we begin to uh, get to a point where we're celebrating it again. Um, There's also uh, sort of coincidentally an article uh, in the latest edition of Crossway that Church Society members and subscribers will be getting this week. But if you're not a subscriber or a member, you can always buy an individual copy from the Church Society website. Um, Paul Darlington's written, uh, well, it's it's a series of two articles, the first of which uh, is in this Quarterly crossway about uh, what we're doing at communion and why it matters. Um, so, if you want to think more about those questions, I would uh, commend those things to you. But again, I think I want to say to people I know this is a thing that, that for a lot of people we have been really missing, and I think that's a good thing if people have been missing communion and feeling hungry for, for communion. But again, we may just need to be patient um, and accept that even if we're able to get back to church in some way. It may be a while before we 're able to share communion in anything like a normal sort of way and and again just you know understand that there are there are reasons for that and it 's not because anyone's trying to wanting to withhold from you a means of grace that that God has given us. Um, it is for your protection and safety
2: I think it's also worth saying that we can expect quite detailed advice to come through from bishops and archdeacons uh, very soon, so we should take note on that. Um, And just, and it is a slight bugbear of mine, I'm not sure now is the time to be uh, considering Episcopal disobedience over this, given how hard um, the church authorities and the government authorities have tried uh, to balance the needs of freedom on the one hand with the public health risk on the other. Um, I'm not going to pretend I've got any more insight than they have into the health risks, um, I'm not sure this is the time to be going against the advice.
0: Yeah, I think that's really right. It's not coming from a position of, of you know, let's persecute those Christians. It's not coming from a position of let's fr- try and frustrate gospel ministry. It, you know, there are, there are clear, um, good and important reasons. It's also
1: important to say that we, we, we do still feed on Christ in our hearts by faith when we listen and receive his holy word and the preaching of it. So it's not, we're not denied something um, substantial in that sense. We can feed on Christ in our hearts by faith as we hear his word and as people preach on it and we accept and receive that. What we're being denied is communal gathering, is feeding on Christ by means of the Lord's Supper. But it's the same thing that we feed on. We feed on Christ. Um, and so you know we can still be sustained in our faith despite not having the Lord's Supper, which is still something we should be longing to do, but isn't going to be happening in a normal way for a long time, I don't think.
0: I think that's right. I I really hope that one of the the sort of lasting effects of this period for people will be that that sense of valuing and longing for those things which are so important. The the meeting together and, yes, the sharing of bread and wine and and those things which we've not been able to do um, and that we we feel that greater longing for I listened
1: to four sermons on Sunday yesterday. I just, you know, I just love being able (laughs) to do that.
0: how many did he preach in the same place the
1: same <laughs> i was time? only Different i was only preaching time. in one church yesterday at uh, holy trinity old hill on nehemiah which was great but i listened to several sermons on youtube it yeah. was just lovely to be able to do that and to to feed on christ in that way it's just great
0: yeah lots of blessings well, let's just move on and, and rather more briefly, um, some of you will have seen the news last week that uh, Evangelicals Now, a regular monthly newspaper, Christian newspaper, has appointed a new editor. Um, they've appointed David Baker. David is an Anglican clergyman. Uh, he ministers down in West Sussex. He's a church society uh, member uh, and a, an all-round good egg. He, uh, in his former life, was a journalist so uh, and has continued to be involved in Christian journalism uh, while he's been in church ministry and is going to continue, uh, he's not leaving, uh, his parishes, he's going to continue with that as he takes on this new role. And it just made me think what, what is the, the place of those kinds of newspapers? So various, uh, newspapers, evangelicals now, people may also know Church of England newspaper or Church Times or, um, those so- sorts of newspapers, That's not where I get my news these days. So for example, the news we've just been talking about, the government guidance, you know, I I saw the link to that on a Facebook group this morning. I did not go to a newspaper website, let alone wait for a newspaper to drop through my letterbox. Do either of you subscribe to any Christian newspapers? Where Where do you get your Christian news from?
1: Well, the, the, things like uh, Church Times, I try to read every week. And the uh, Church of England newspaper, Evangelicals Now, Evangelical Times, those are the ones. So they're usually weekly or monthly, um, these things. Occasionally you get things that are quarterly as well. They're not daily newspapers like The Telegraph, The Times, The Guardian uh, uh, or The Daily Mail or something like that. Um, I think the the role of daily news has, um, for Christians is taken by blogs and by Facebook and social media, Twitter, Instagram, even maybe for some.
0: Which then raises the question, doesn't it? if we've all seen all the news because it's come online within hours, what is the value of something that comes out weekly or monthly?
1: Well, I think Evangelicals Now is particularly good at this. is very good at giving us a digest of the news from around the world so um, you will get stuff from all over the world of interest to evangelicals now um, as to what's going on in africa indonesia malaysia south america in different parts of the world so we can pray and know what's going on of course mixed up within a lot of this is pages and pages of comment as well we get lots of comment and lots of opinion on things um, which we do also get online But you kind of hope that if it's in a newspaper, it's been filtered through an editorial team, been thought about more carefully. uh, And so it might be a little bit more reliable or worth reading than many Twitter posts.
0: Yeah. So I I think that point about sort of getting outside of your social media bubble is a good one. Um, You know, you may be very good at choosing who you follow online and and where you read and, and getting that broad picture. of news but most of us are not most of us tend to just follow the people we know and the things we already know Um, and so we get a sort of echo chamber of ourselves so something which is deliberately pushing beyond that is a good thing um is there still a role do you think um for investigative journalism where do we see that happening because that i don't think is something that social media generally does social media is very good at sharing a link and having an opinion on it but actually finding a story doing that investigative
2: work. Where do you see that happening, Mark? Well, I'm not sure I see it happening very much at all at the moment. And I think that's a big concern. It's worth remembering how expensive it is because you're needing to to pay people to do that work. Uh, I think there are are some examples you can point to. I think the Archbishop Cranmer uh, blog uh, would be one example. I think likewise, uh, some of Ian Paul's work is excellent. We might not agree with all of it, but there's a lot that's very, very helpful there. but yeah, beyond that, uh, you, you can point to examples, but you can't point to a culture of investigative journalism. Uh, and I suspect that probably evangelical Christianity in this country is the weaker for it.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's it's not a thing that is happening a lot. And, and, I, and I'm sure you're right. It's a lot to do with how expensive it is. And I think many of these sort of uh, publications are are struggling to hang on financially is my guess um we've seen that with with secular newspapers and secular journalism struggling to hold their place uh, in an internet culture and i'm sure the same is true for christian publications it's interesting to me that um when lockdown was announced church of england newspaper's a weekly newspaper went online only and i do wonder if they will ever go back to being a print publication i do, i wonder whether they can afford to but
1: on this issue and, that you're talking about investigative yeah. journalism you know church of england newspaper does not employ that many people uh, to actually do the work a lot of what appears in there and in evangelicals now of course is actually just the editor saying uh, to church society or to another organization please give us something for this month and so there's a regular rolling um, an item from watch an item from the church mission society and that's what you get in there you don't get investigative journalism and the, the one or two people who may be employed by the publication are busy producing all the other stories they haven't got time to devote to doing lots of investigation so who broke the story about john Smythe and his abuse channel four Who wrote the story about Jonathan Fletcher and what he was up to? The Telegraph. So you get a crossover with things the world might be interested in, scandalous things, and the world investigates them. But things that might actually be of of real interest to Christians about what's really going on in the Christian world, I don't think the world knows about them. Or cares about them. So you won't get the BBC looking into those things. When the BBC did a story recently about how my faith is helping me through lockdown, uh, the, 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 the people that they got to talk about that were not representative of most people in the church. Um, I think the one, yeah, well, anyway, I mean, you look look that story anyway, up. That's true. Look that story up. It's not representative. That's true.
0: There, I mean, there have been some, some great counter examples. There was a lovely piece, wasn't there, in, I think, The Independent, with somebody talking about her, her faith and her church family during lockdown and how great that had been. But I agree, in general, we shouldn't be, and we can't rely on the secular media to do that work for us because they have their own agenda. Um, and so I would love to see um, Christian... Uh, journalists really taking that mantle on and I don't know how you pay for that and I don't know how you make that happen I think also you mentioned earlier about how a lot of these uh, publications what they're doing is sort of aggregating stories from other uh, organizations parachurch organizations places like church society and again I wonder who is doing the the sort of um, scrutiny of that who is who is doing the scrutiny of you know, what is happening with Fulcrum? What, is, what are CEC up to and is it the right thing? Who, who is doing that kind of bigger overview scrutiny? Because organisations with the best one in the world aren't, aren't best placed to do it for themselves and don't feel that it's appropriate to comment on each other particularly. So, you know, I, I would just love that it, to be a place where, where that sort of work is happening as well um, at a bigger picture. Well, it will be interesting to pos- see. Yeah, go
2: on, Mark. I, I was going say, but possibly, they helpful just to reinforce that. Uh, things like Facebook groups can also these days be incredibly helpful. There are some people who do know what they're talking about, who have a reputation for talking sense and for being in the know, um, and we are very privileged in in many ways at the moment to be able to to engage with those people online. Um, I'm just thinking, for example, of someone like John Stevens, who's been doing some cracking work about the opening of churches, uh, and that information has been made available by him very, very quickly, far more quickly than would be by investigative journalists. So it's not all doom and gloom, but yes, I, I take the no,
0: picture. I absolutely. Agree. And I think that's the thing is not it? there's so many things that social media does do really well and quickly and responsively that that we're all benefiting from. But I just worry about what we're losing that social media doesn't do so well um, because it's taking away from that. Anyway, we wish uh, David and evangelicals now very well and we look forward to seeing uh, how things develop there. Great. Uh, Who has got some things to recommend? Mark, you had a book you were going to mention, I think
2: yes i 've been rereading recently this uh, book by uh, Paul david Tripp dangerous calling um, i I think i 've now read it three or four times um, but particularly rereading at the moment because uh, his central thesis is that uh, pastors need to be in community if they are to be supported, cared for, and accountable. Uh, and one of the issues I've struggled with, and a lot of other ministers I've spoken to over the last few months have really struggled with, is that sense of how to have that openness and accountability in community when you can't be meeting with people. Um, Zoom is is an option, but it's limited. as uh, are others as well. So I've actually been rereading that, uh, thinking what that might look like over the coming weeks and months, given that the lockdown restrictions are only being lifted slowly. Um, and I'm just really... I'm impressed on the one hand with the argument, and, and I need to think through how to apply it personally um, in, in the light of the changes we've seen in the last uh, last few months. Um, I'm also saddened, um, I won't go into details, but if you look again at the names on the back of the book, those who've commended it, um, there are some very sad examples of where this has gone badly wrong for some. And a strong sense of there, but for the grace of God go we. Um, and a real encouragement to pastors perhaps over the summer when hopefully there'll be a chance for things to to slow down a little bit, uh, to think about how we set ourselves up with perhaps slightly different support structures and accountability uh, in the light of the changes we've been facing.
0: That's really helpful. Uh, you may have seen um, Dan Steele, who's a minister in a free church mm. in Oxford, did a survey a few weeks ago. And that was the thing that came out really strongly was uh, ministers feeling the need for those support networks with people in similar situations. Um, and he mentioned, um, which I don't think I had really thought of in this context before, that um, in Calvin's Geneva they had that sort of weekly habit of the, the church leaders gathering for that kind of mutual support and accountability. And, you know, I think most of us, even if we have those kind of support systems, Maybe it's once every three months or maybe it's a, a phone call once a month. But but that sort of ongoing regular check in and how valuable that is. Lee, have you got anything for us?
1: Well, uh, my bedtime reading is the Synopsis Purioris Theologiae, uh, the Leiden Synopsis of 1625 in Latin, uh, which is very good.
0: Well, I'll put a link to a that the program. I'm sure
1: right? be out, but, uh, <laughs> the other thing is I did a talk last week on Friday uh, for the Southwark Diocesan Evangelical Group. Um, they'd asked me to talk about the doctrine of God. So um, the the topic we came up with was pleasing the impassable God and looking at impassibility and immutability, how God doesn't change and he doesn't have uh, vulnerability to passions as we do. Uh, So two books I could recommend particularly on that sort of subject, on the doctrine of God, one would be Matthew Barrett's excellent book, None Greater, um, I've got it on Kindle, so I can't show you my copy of it. Uh, none greater, the undomesticated attributes of God, which is just excellent. On these classical, great title, classical theism, what God, what it, what it means by God being uh, omniscient, omnipresent. Um, immutable impassable and so on and the other excellent book on these things is gary williams's book his love endures forever which is a beautiful book it um, reminded me a lot reading it of um, jim packer's book knowing god which is high praise isn't it Um, and it's got some great reflections on how these things apply to us uh, in our christian lives and some prayerful meditations on that so gary williams his love endures forever it's a great book
0: Lovely. I love that um, undomesticated attributes. It reminds me, um, you know, of when Aslan is is described as not being tame. You know, we we don't have a tame domesticated God. We have an undomesticated God. Good. Um, I was going to recommend something, but I'm slightly nervous to do now because I think, did both of you study history as your first degree? Yeah. Okay. Good. Right. So I don't really know anything about history, but I've really been enjoying a series of historical novels.
2: Bear in mind, as historians, we immediately claim that whatever it is is not our period, no, it's so de- else you're completely safe.
0: It's definitely Lee's period, though. It's 17th century. It's a series of books, uh, Roundheads and Cavaliers, by Stella Riley. Oh yeah. Um, the first one is the first one is the Black Madonna. Um, they they're a bit gruesome. I had to skip over some of the battle scenes and the siege and the. Yeah the gre- the gruesomeness the siege
1: cover. of colchester um, where mark is
0: Yeah actually that's not the one it's oh. the siege of banbury that you get in real detail I,
2: I, I wasn't there at the time <laughs> not, but, oh.
0: but there is um, <laughs> there certainly is reference to the siege of colchester and people eating rats and yeah anyway Splendid. Um, but what i really like about them um they they i mean they're great books and she writes really well and they're very gripping and they're long which if you're needing something to occupy your mind at the moment it's a good thing but she really captures I think the the sort of chaos and confusion of the whole period so they start just before the civil war starts and they go through um not not quite as far as I can't remember I think I can't remember how far into the commonwealth you get but that sort of lengthy period and people you know with divided loyalties and changing sides and complicated Uh, politics
1: it's all a bit too close to home it's like all the brexit arguments and then followed by not being able to get a delivery slot from tesco which means you end up eating rats and arguing with people about brexit (laughs) online
0: so yeah um, it's too
1: close to home it's not really fiction
0: anyway i i enjoy this (laughs) an
2: apocalyptic note to end the podcast on
0: (laughs) yeah anyway if if you feel like that's a period of history that you feel like you'd ought to understand better but you're not going to read a book that's half in latin um, much better I to read the lidon synopsis
1: that would be great
0: <laughs> good, good well anyway on that note thank you all uh, for watching and or listening don't forget to subscribe don't forget to tune in again next week